When my time on earth is gone and my activities here are past, I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Everything College Basketball episode 160. Um, little subdued for the Sunday afternoon here. I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton. Joining me today are a pair of my teammates, Peyton Burton, Trevor Everett. And the reason we're a little subdued, today's episode, as we are on the brink, 24 hours or less away from the start of college basketball, we thought today would be a perfect opportunity to pay tribute to an icon of the sport of college basketball that just passed away a few days ago. Um, before we get into it and tell you what today's show is about and start reminiscing, let's bring on Peyton, Trevor. Um, guys, this is going to be a different one, but I think it's going to be a well-deserved type of episode today. Absolutely. We lost a legend in the college basketball world, one of the greatest coaches of all time, um, one of the greatest like minds. Like Everybody knows who the guy that we're talking about today. Everybody knows who he is, whether you grew up in the state of Indiana or you didn't. You know who Bobby Knight was. And uh, yeah, we was going to originally do like a short, like a little opening, like on him on episode 159. But we kind of all decided, and I just kind of threw out an idea. Like, instead of doing this, since this is since he's such a big topic, especially when me and Josh is from in Indiana growing up there, let's just do a whole, like, memorial show, like, honoring him, like, as best as we possibly can. So that's what this show is going to be about. Yeah, look, I, as as a North Carolinian who grew up around basketball and, and understands what a legendary coach is, I, I, I cannot wait to hear what you two have to say, specifically being around him and the program a lot and just being part of what the history of college basketball means. And we'll get into his resume and some other notes that I want to mention about him. Yeah. So Peyton kind of alluded to it. Um, as we sit here on this Sunday, this last Wednesday, head coach Bob Knight, the news broke sometime mid afternoon, late afternoon, early evening that uh, head coach Bob Knight passed away at the age of 83 years old. You had kind of heard some, some mumblings the last couple months to a year that he wasn't in the best health. If you go back to a few weeks ago at Indiana's Hoosier Hysteria, head coach Mike Woodson got on the mic in front of the, the raucous crowd there in Assembly Hall and let everybody know, hey, say an extra prayer for Coach Knight. And But none of us knew. They did a good job of keeping it very private. We still don't know what the cause is. Could be old age, whatever. It's not up for speculation from us, but – Whatever it was, they did a good job at keeping it from the, the public's eye. But Coach Knight passed away this last Wednesday night. And so today's show, it's going to be a little different one, as we mentioned, but we're going to do our best. We've got a lot of great stuff here on Coach Knight. And we've got, I guess you call them testimonies. We put it on our Facebook group, you know, because there is a lot of people, not only from the state of Indiana, but people who grew up in the era of Coach Knight and Coach Katie, and that whole rivalry we'll touch on. And we had them share our th his, our, their thoughts on him. And so we're going to be reading a bunch of those, a lot of cool stuff. But I think Coach Knight, and by the way, today's episode as well, we've got an incredible interview that I pre-recorded earlier last week as well with Coach Scott Davenport that's going to air after we do our tribute to Coach Knight. So it's a big show. I went almost 35 minutes with Coach Davenport. And there is some incredible stuff that you need to hear in this pre-recorded interview that you'll hear later on in the show. Coach Davenport's the man, and we cannot thank him enough. But as far as Coach Knight, let's take a look at, you know, his Hall of Fame career. 902 wins for the longest time until Coach K passed him. If you remember the very first Champions Classic in 2000, what was it, 2011, 2012, somewhere around there. It was in Madison Square Garden, and Coach Knight was on the call that night that Coach K and Duke tucked down Michigan State to pass Coach Knight at 903 career wins. Before then, Coach Knight owned the, the all-time record for most wins as a Division I head coach at 902 wins. He spent six seasons at Army from 65 to 71. 1971, he comes to Indiana where he stays the 2000. Obviously, everybody knows what happened where he got fired in Indiana. Took his season off, comes back at Texas Tech where he ends his career coaching from the year 2001 until 2008. 
in that long, long career full of 902 wins. The man won three national championships, all with the Indiana University Hoosiers, 1976, 1981, and 1987. He went to five Final Fours, won 11 Big Ten regular season championships, and was the AP Coach of the Year three different times. And all of that, those accolades, the the Natties, the Final Fours, the Big Ten Championships, and the AP Coach of the Year all came in his most famous stop where he spent 29 seasons on the sideline in Bloomington, Indiana, at Assembly Hall for the Indiana Hoosiers. Um, it, just incredible. Like, you look at those numbers, fellas, and I'll pose it to you. Whether you grew up in the state, you grew up, got a chance to watch him on the sidelines like I did, or however, just basketball historians for college basketball. Those numbers, to me, I've always said this. He is definitely on the Mount Rushmore of college basketball coaches. And up until Coach K, the last decade, got the win total from him and ran it up and got him an extra title or two. I think Bob Knight's, to me, safely number two coach of all time in college basketball behind Mike, or Coach K. And I'll argue, and you can throw the John Wooden, and you could throw Roy Williams and whoever else out there. But if you look at impact and coaching talent and development, and he never got in trouble for NCAA sanctions and building rosters and just everything, Coach Bob Knight is at worst the number two greatest head coach of all time in college basketball. That, that was really the only thing. So, like, obviously, I, I kind of was just – I wanted to be here to hear just some of the stories and, and really talk about, like, what his legacy means. And we have to talk about, like – you mentioned the Coach K thing, and that was really the only thing I wanted to really talk about or what I had written down to kind of like bring up as a, you know, without, you know, without Coach Knight, we don't have Coach K. I think that's as simple as that can be put, right? And, you know, without going into the details of their history and, you know, that's beyond, that's between them and their families and stuff or whatever. But, you know, for him to be a player under him and to take him under his wing, regardless, again, of the whatever fallout they had in the 90s, you know, whether people love or hate Coach K, you see a lot of the same things that we saw from Coach Knight. Some of the passion, same right? principles, some, yeah. Same principles, same understanding of the game. You know, we really don't like, and I think that's what kind of is cool that ties us three together. Is just like you know, without the Indiana and its history, I don't, you know, Duke and North Carolina and, and remotely any part of that rivalry does not become what it is becomes without Coach Knight. Um, I did want to bring up, you know, I, I'm always a big like, you know high school yearbook quote, you know, quotes, that kind of thing. I think it's fascinating. He's got some of the best out there. I'm sure we'll go through a few. Um, the one that will obviously come to mind the most, and I and I think it's fitting for what we're talking about, um, and Indiana fans are probably already smiling. When my team, when my time on earth is gone and my activities here are past, I want them to bury me upside down so my critics can kiss my ass. And Legendary. I don't know if you can get any better than that. I do want to throw one other out there, though, um, just one that I thought was really fascinating. Um when you think about like the preparation and what goes into being a head coach, he's said many times, the key is not the will to win. Uh, everybody has that. It's the will to prepare to win. That is important. Uh, mental toughness is to physical as four is to one. Um, and then I really like this one. You mentioned the, you know, no sanctions and stuff like that. Just the kind of purity there was as a head coach. If I came to recruit your son, I would tell you your wife and your son that I'll be the most demanding coach that your son can play for. And then when you look at some of the guys, and I want to go through this later after we kind of go through some other stuff, but when you look at some of the guys he's coached, right, then now, like, we wouldn't have Steve Alford, right, like a, a very good coach that we see currently now without him. Kent Benson, Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas, Thomas, you know, I was trying to figure out all Mike the other Woodson. ones off the top of my head without without mentioning Isaiah first, but, you know, because that's like Mike, the one. You know. Mike Woodson, look at Indiana now. Mike Absolutely. Woodson came through but IU. The whole point I'm making is there are – the I, I've always said this coaching tree thing is always so fascinating to me, especially in college basketball. That tree gets really, really hard to follow sometimes. His tree will always continue to be grown, and we'll always continue to see it through the coaches we have now. Well, even Chris Beard, Peyton. Chris Beard spent was his main assistant at Texas Tech when Bob Knight was at Texas Tech. And we obviously, Chris Beard, we've documented, had his own issues. But you can't deny that Chris Beard's a, an incredible X's and O's head coach and an incredible recruiter now. And he, he studied under the Bob Knight tree down in Texas tech. Um, Peyton Trevor mentioned these incredible quotes. He was a quote machine. And for all of his flaws, you can't deny what he was able to do for the game of college basketball, the game of basketball as a whole. He won an Olympics 
1984 with the likes of Michael Jordan at the helm, which I've got an incredible story he told about Michael Jordan. I'll, I'll mention here in a minute. But just the X's and O's. He never ran plays. I literally this morning in tribute listened to a, a podcast from a couple years ago with A.J. Guyton, who played under night, and as Isaiah Thomas. And they said that they never ran plays. He's so fervent on the motion offense. And you look at even the landscape of the dynamics of basketball in college and in the high school level. The motion offense is Bob Knight. Like it's synonymous with Bob Knight. Passing, cutting, moving, finding a good shot, taking care of the basketball. You look on the defensive side, playing hard-nosed defense, shooting your gaps. I mean, all this stuff is so typical Bob Knight that filtrated all the way through college basketball that we still see remnants today in some shape or form. And Peyton, I'll let you speak. I've been going on here for a minute before we move on with more Bob Knight stuff, but kind of your thoughts on all that because there's a lot to cover on this man. Yeah, I'm glad Trev mentioned the Coach K point and you mentioned kind of like the motion offense and all that stuff because that's actually going to go into what I was going to say. He's one of the most most influential college basketball coaches of all time. Um, I definitely think he's on my Matt Rushmore 100%. Like, once you talk about college basketball coaches on the Matt Rushmore, Bob Knight is one of the names, like, I am completely agree with you with. Like, insolent. Of course he's on there. Like, all of his players that he coached in college basketball, Trevor mentioned some of them, Isaiah Thomas, Steve Alford, Damon Bailey, Mike Woodson, like, all these legendary, like, figures in college basketball and, like, Isaiah Thomas in the NBA ranks and Mike Woodson now coming back and, being a coach in his alma mater now at Indiana is like they all come from one guy and that's Bobby Knight. His discipline style um, of basketball, the motion offense, like all this stuff, influential. Coach K started his career under the influence of Bobby Knight. Like all this stuff, when you think of Bobby Knight, you really, because especially back then, like when he took over Indiana, would you say 71, 70, like early 70s? Yeah, 1971. When he took over that program, Indiana already had two national titles. They already had two national titles. But he's the one who made Indiana a uh, blue blood. He's, he's the only reason that Indiana is considered as a blue blood. Yeah, they have the two national titles, no um, – no, I can't think of the damn penalties. No disrespect. Yeah, no penalties, no sanction, no disrespect mm -hmm. to the other coaches who had the national titles before him. But he made the Indiana program what it is today and what we know of it now to be. I think that Coach Knight is maybe second greatest coach of all time, definitely top three. And we completely lost a legend. Well, and I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to throw this stat out. And this is for his 29 seasons at IU alone. And I don't think it got any worse than this when with Texas Tech. But for his 29 seasons at IU, for the kids, for the players who stayed four years, completed their degree at Indiana, only two did not get a degree. In 29 years, if you played for Coach Knight, he made sure you went to class. He made sure that you got a degree. And there's only been a handful throughout his course of the 29 years at IU the guys like Isaiah Thomas who were good enough who actually left early or whatever, transferred out. But if you came to him as a freshman and you stuck it all the way through for four years or five if you took a red shirt, then you were guaranteed to get a degree. No matter what happened, if you got to go play professional or not, you were leaving Indiana with a degree. And he was so fervent about making sure that kids got their education. He fought for the education of student athletes. He fought late in the 90s. There's clips out there, him fighting against schedule makers about playing games throughout the midweek and kids missing too much class. He was not going to let you come to his program and not do it the way he wanted it done. And that included being as best as possible as you could possibly be in the classroom and getting a degree, which I think says a lot because, you know, there, college basketball's changed a lot from when he first started in 1971, and especially in today's day and age. And Trevor, I think you might appreciate this as well, Peyton as well, but Peyton, you mentioned about the motion offense and the different variations and stuff. I think there's this perception out there because Knight ran the motion offense and because he was so keep making the right pass, move the ball, move the ball, that his offenses didn't score a lot. If you go back, especially from the early part from like 1971 until, well, even really until he got fired, but especially from like 71 to like 97, 
his team's averaged like close to 90 points in a lot of seasons. Like they put up numbers. It, they weren't just moving the ball just to move the ball. They were looking to score. They ran in transition when they got it. They forced turnovers, got easy turnover buckets that way. There was a lot of games where his teams would score close to 90 points per game. And I, I think that was a huge misconception. You know, the Big Ten's all-time leading scorer still resides in the Bob Knight era to Indiana, Calbert Chaney. Still the Big Ten's all-time leading scorer. That doesn't happen by accident. You know what I'm saying? That doesn't happen by accident. And we talked, he's got three national titles. You ask Indiana fans of a certain age, they easily could have five and probably should have five. 1976, they go unbeaten, still the last undefeated national championship or national champion in men's college basketball. Everybody that was alive then says 1975 was better. They went unbeaten all the way to the uh, Elite Eight and got beat by Kentucky by two points only because Scott May which you should know, Trevor, Sean May, who won a national title with North Carolina, that's his dad, Scott May, I think it was broke his hand and was out that game. They Everybody says if Scott May doesn't get hurt, Indiana has two back-to-back undefeated seasons of 75-76. And in 1993, Indiana came in the tournament as the best team in the country. Peyton, our dad, was at the first two tournament games, which was cool. Yep. Yep. He, he seen him play round one, and he seen him play, uh, I think it was Xavier in round two. Allen Henderson doesn't get hurt. They still made the final four, but Allen Henderson doesn't get hurt. Then a lot of people say they win the title that year. I'm sorry. It was, uh, they made the lead eight. Kansas knocked them out in the lead eight, but everybody says Allen Henderson doesn't get hurt. They win another one. So that could be potentially five national titles for Indiana in 29 years. But um, go ahead. I'll share, I'll share two st- uh, facts because I love doing trivia, and I, I've had you guys on uh, two-pointers before and done some trivia. Um, I didn't use this question before. I've got two things that are uh, mind-blowing here. Excluding his first year at Indiana, so 71-72, how many times do you think he missed the NCAA tournament in 29 years? Was not many. Maybe. I know in 79, I think it was, they won the NIT tournament because they beat Purdue. Yep. So that would be one. So I guess I'm say, uh, missing all postseason, I guess, would be a better way to put it. You got that right. 78, missing, 79, they, they hmm. won the NIT, so that technically they beat is postseason. Purdue, yeah. um, I would say three at the most. If you I'll count s- it. Go ahead, Peyton. I'll say two. It's two. Yeah, NIT. That NIT year, if you don't count the very first year, it's only two. Uh, the other crazy. fact I'll tell you that I think is will go on, and, and I don't this I, I, I don't see this changing for a while. Um, I didn't use this question with you guys in my trivia showdown with you, but uh, he's one of only three coaches to ever win a national championship as a player and a coach. One at Ohio State, yeah. Yep, Joe B. Hall, of course, at the Kentucky. Uh, Bob Knight won at Ohio State and Indiana, and then Dean Smith, Kansas, yep. North Carolina. That's it. Those are the three names, all three legendary coaches, and Bob That's Knight a- deserves to be in that class. That I mean, that's incredible, and I'm glad you mentioned the Ohio State run as a player. And, you know... Peyton, I want to go back again to the offensive end of this thing. Well, even the versatility, because you go back to 87, his last national title, Indiana's last national title, Steve Alford, Keith Smart, Dean Garrett and company. You want to see the adaptability to Coach Knight. Everybody says that he was such a genius of game planning and scouting and breaking teams down. They played LSU. I think it was in the Elite Eight. And yeah, it was an elite eight LSU chance to go to the final four. They scored, I think it was 54 points and I might have these numbers mixed up, but I know it's this range. Basically in the lead eight, they score 54 points to win. And then against UNLV, they put up 90 because there's just, he knew the game plan and how the flow of the game, how to go. And it might be backwards. They might've scored 90 against LSU and 54 against UNLV, whatever the case, the adaptability, he knew game plan wise how to pick a team apart, dissect them like the best surgeon in the world to game plan. And he took it wasn't always think about this as well. Do you know how many um, NBA All Stars in his career at IU in twenty nine seasons he had on his roster? I can tell you, All Stars is where you kind of get get me. All Stars, yes, not Isaiah, just NBA players. All Stars. Because Ken Benson was the number one overall pick, and I, I mean, he had to have been an All Star, so that's probably two. 
I'd be shocked if he wasn't an all-star. I know some of those guys weren't uh, exactly You should have just stopped at Isaiah. One. Is it really Isaiah only? God bless America. That's crazy. Think about that, fellas. Think about that. The type of kids he brought into his program and turned – they were good, but by the time he was done with them, he formed this dominant teams year after year. And he did it with today's standards by the occasional five-star. But most times – Kids in state that would be like three and four stars that are like the Illinois or Ohio area. I mean, that's, that's incredible. He had one in 29 years and all these titles and all these final fours and all these Big Ten championships. He had one player that went to the NBA that was an NBA All Star. So he wasn't doing it on talent alone. He was bringing good talent and making them great and great as a team. That's the the definition of a, a legendary coach. And we talked about again adaptability. I mean, obviously, I'm a Kentucky fan. What do we get on Cal about? He doesn't adapt, right? Coach Knight is the antithesis of that. I mean, just incredible Hall of Fame legendary stuff from Coach Knight. And by the way, I mean, they're not going to see it, but you guys can see it. This is as close as I could find in my closet right now. I had to don, like, the red sweater in honor of Coach Knight for today's episode. Um, just – I when you start really diving in and then you, you hear about all the, the stuff, right. The Neil Reed choke that end up leading to him getting on a zero tolerance clause, which he ended up breaking and getting fired in 2000. You hear about him berating reporters or being physical with people and practices or opposing coaches. But the other side you don't hear is a guy like Landon Turner, who was a great all big 10 player for him in the late seventies, early eighties gets in a car wreck in Brown County, Indiana, which is a basic country roads. He gets in a car wreck. It paralyzes him. He was so distraught. He started a, a, a fund for Landon. He talked to Red Auerbach, the Boston Celtics, to draft him so Landon could see his dreams come true, knowing he could never play again. He couldn't even walk again. Yeah. It's the type of stuff he would do that wouldn't get the good publicity. And before we get into like our people that shared their memories of Bob, the Michael Jordan story I love. So he coached uh, Michael in the 84 Olympics when college kids were still representing Team USA. And he said that Michael was the best athlete he's ever seen, the best basketball, you know, all this stuff. And he tells this great story of during the gold medal game against Spain and the Los Angeles Forum. And they're up like 29 at halftime. And he's a firm believer of going in and finding something to motivate them because not just going in back, like, oh man, we played a great half, right? So he's trying to think, can't think nothing, can't think nothing. And when he walks in the locker room, he goes, What the hell am I going to say? First person he sees is Michael Jordan. He said, When I turned that corner, I seen MJ. And he said, One of the one of the greatest gifts God gave or MJ is that great big smile. He said, so I seen him. MJ looks up at me, gives me that big smile. He said, I got it. I'm going to get on Jordan's ass. Because if I get on Jordan's ass, and keep in mind, he's got 19 points and eight rebounds and three steal or nine steals and three assists or whatever, right? At halftime and 12 minutes. He goes, if I'm going to get on Jordan's ass, the rest of the players are going to be like, Jesus, he's getting on Jordan. What's he think about me? He said, so I look at MJ. He gives me that big smile. He said, Michael. I've got four guys out here screaming. He said, you're, when you're out there, you're the only guy not out here screaming. So what? You've played 12 minutes and had 19 points and nine rebounds and 12 steals and all this other stuff. He said, when the hell are you going to screen somebody? He said, when I take you out, I at least have five guys out there screaming. He said, without make, without breaking stride, he said, coach, didn't I uh, read not too long ago that you said that I was one of the quickest players you've ever seen? He said, God dang, Mike, what the hell has that got to do with screening? He goes, Michael tells him, he goes, coach, I think I'm just setting him faster than you can see. And he, Bob said, uh, well, damn, Mike, slow down a little bit so I can start seeing him. <laughs> just an incredible story, man. Um, I mean, that's Coach Knight, that, like a Hall of Fame legendary figure. I didn't want to leave out these two names that I was just now making sure I had my research right. And I missed them somehow in the, in the coaching tree thing. I told you, I love coaching trees and that's what makes, uh, especially the magazine prep. We talked about it last week, like just finding out that this guy coached for this guy. And this, it's just fascinating stuff. I'll give you two names, Dusty May. I think people figured that out as FAO made the run team manager, of course, at Indiana. He also, this was, I can't even like say this was straight face. 
Two-time Super Bowl champion Bill Parcells was also on his staff at Army, Army in the yeah. 60s. And, I did not they, know that. I did not they know were that. Very, I'm, I'm blown away. They were very close. He loved baseball as well. Um, he was real close with Tony La Russa to the yep. point where each summer La Russa would let him fill out a lineup card because he loved baseball. Um, he loved like great coaches. And you think about Parcells, him and Knight are cut from the same cloth. Old school, tough-minded, you're going to get after it. Um, yep. Just incredible. Um, I, I think, let's go to the Facebook because I think, Trev, I know you love this. We put it out there the other day and asked for memories of Coach Knight because growing up in the state of Indiana, I was fortunate enough, my fandom started in the middle of the Coach Knight, Coach Katie era, and you talk about incredible rivalry that they end up turning from bitter rivals to incredible friends later in Coach Knight's life, which was really cool to see. Purdue, Indiana, in the 80s and 90s, was maybe the best rivalry. You talk about competition. You're talking about everything that goes into it because Coach Knight was so revered in the state of Indiana, as you'll hear here in just a second. But Coach Katie had his his people, and Indiana-Purdue was something special. It was at very least on par with Duke Carolina. And if you talk to the right people, the 80s and 90s, it might have been better than Duke Carolina with the intenseness and Coach Knight and just – I'm, I'm so blessed to grow up in that era, but Facebook group, we put it out there. Um, share some of your favorite memories. What did coach Knight mean to you? We'll go to Brandon Stevenson because he has an incredible story here. Um, Brandon Stevenson says, when I was in fourth grade, we had to write someone we admired. I wrote a letter to Bob Knight telling him how one day I hope to play for, or maybe coach alongside him. I got a signed eight by 10 back saying, good luck, Brandon. Coach was a huge part of my upbringing as an IU fan and is the reason why I love the game so much and I'm still a basketball junkie to this day. Some of my best childhood memories were watching IU games with my grandmother. And then he, go, he goes on to say, I'll be honest, it sort of feels like a family member died. I'm absolutely gutted by this one. A large part of my childhood and fandom is gone. It's been a hell of a gut punch reading a lot of the tributes on social media the last hour or so. I mean, that I think that right there to show, you know, Brandon, unlike a lot of us, we only knew Coach from the TV. We didn't know him personally. But the kind of reach and power that he brought through Indiana basketball and his larger-than-life personality made him feel like he he knew you and you knew him. I mean, incredible stuff. Um, I, I mentioned about our dad, Peyton, getting to see Bob Knight, his fanfare. Our, our guy, Johnny Stroud, talking about his story. Uh, he said his dad introduced him to – Robert Montgomery Knight he said he fell in love with him and his disciplined style of basketball. His passion, while sometimes overboard, sure, was second to none. His fire and passion was infectious. Definitely on my Mount Rushmore of college coaches, RIP. Um, Don Lucas, we have some good coaches now, but it's not like it was back 40 years ago or so. They were not just great coaches, but they were characters and legends. Knight, Raleigh Massimino, Tarkanian, Jimmy V, uh, John Thompson, Myers, Richardson, et cetera, et cetera. Too many to list. It feels like we don't have characters anymore, which I 100% agree. Sean Martin, our guy that we made friends with last year, Peyton, that covers Purdue. As someone who watches, coaches, and knows basketball in the state like I do, I see Coach Knight's influences on the game nearly every day. Motion offense and man-to-man defense are principles seen in nearly every high school, college, and professional gym in the world. Few coaches, almost none, have influenced how the game is still played today like one Robert Montgomery Knight. He was certainly a conflicted personality in some respects. A genius tactician, an innovator with volatility that was always just under the surface ready to explode. I just thought, oh, some might say a mad scientist. For basketball fans of all flavors and allegiances, today is a sad day. Whether you loved him or loathed him, how he carried himself – there are only a very few that can be mentioned in the same breath as Knight. One of the goats, RIP General. Our, our friend, uh, longtime supporter, Summer Hildebrand, talking about her mom uh, was a student at IU when I was growing up and had season ticks. We sat in the student section for his last few years there. Talks about getting to see AJ Guyton, Michael Lewis, Neil Reed, all played during that time. Um, 
her mom, Teresa, chimed in. Yes, I remember well. I love taking new kids and exposing Hoosier hysteria when it was truly hysteria. James Owens chimes in, says his teams were always prepared and his motion offense was top. Uh, I think there's his motion offense was top in some of his principles that offense are being ran today. And then Indiana U triple SA love Bob or hate him. It didn't change for no one. Um, incredible tributes. And I think all those together, by the way, thank you all who chimed in, but I think it just sums up in just a small portion, what Bob Knight meant to people in the state of Indiana, especially Trev. Yeah, I don't have much more to add. I think it's just really unique, and this is always fun to see, like, uh, the stories you mentioned about his, his love for baseball. Uh, there was a really cool story from a writer. I don't have it in front of me, but he wrote a story about um, a Cleveland Indians team from either, like, the 50s or 60s, and Knight had, like, found it in his last two years when he was struggling with, with uh, I think, Alzheimer's or dementia. And so the guy, like, sent him a copy of the book, and Coach Knight wrote him back, and it was super nice to see that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm really glad we got to do this. Yeah, Peyton, you got anything else to add on Coach Knight? Uh, I'm just very thankful that three years ago, February 12th of 2020, Bob Knight returned to Assembly Hall. And it was one of the loudest, like, crowd reactions I've ever seen in my life. And I wasn't even at the game. I can't even imagine being at the game. It was Indiana-Purdue. He comes back. Gene Cady was there. He was, like, in the front row. He comes back. The crowd erupts. He goes out there on the mic. You got Mike Woods, you know, Isaiah Thomas, you had all of his former type of players all the way there to support him. He gets on the microphone, starts chanting, play some damn defense. Bob Knight expired. Like, it's just – I'm so glad we got to relive that moment. Indiana could actually get that moment again um, before he passed away. So that's – he's a legend in the game. In some ways, especially in Indiana, the state of Indiana, he was like a god to like a lot of us. Um, bigger than most, and uh, he's one of the greatest coaches of all time. And I think that sums up perfectly. Um, Coach, we appreciate your contribution sincerely. Um, Thank you. And with that being said, um, we're going to take a a short break. On the other side of this, we've got an incredible interview to wrap up the episode today with Coach Davenport. Coach Davenport, this is third time on in a year. You, I mean, you got to listen to this. He's got great insight as his team prepares tomorrow to head over to Washington to open the season up. He talks about the schedule, why he always has a tough out-of-conference schedule. The, he breaks a little bit of sort of news about his dealings with the NCAA and eligibility. A lot of great stuff coming up here on the show with Coach Davenport. But for the live portion of this, from Peyton and Trevor, myself, Phil, who couldn't make it, we just want to say thank you, Coach Knight. Uh, rest in peace, General. And we will catch you guys down the road because when we come back, we got Coach Davenport on the other side of this. We got college basketball starting tomorrow. I, I can't believe the season's back, but we'll catch you on the other side of this break. Joining me today, he's been on a, with us a handful of times in the last year alone. One of our absolute favorite guests joining the podcast with me today is our friend and yours, the head coach of the Bellarmine Knights, Mr. Scotty Davenport. Coach, we've had technical difficulties. It's been it's been a trip, but I'm so glad to get to talk to you again. How are you doing as we are one week away from the start of college basketball? Excited, Josh. It's great. Um, it's uh, – I don't think it will ever get old. It's <laughs> – it's, you know – when, when everybody wants the same thing and you work together daily and everybody's willing to do whatever it takes, that's just a very powerful situation to put yourself in. And, you know, these young men are, I sound like a gloating parent. They're amazing. They've been amazing in the classroom. We ended last year three, four, seven highest GPA among any team here at Bellarmine. Um, that was our 36th consecutive semester. We've never been under a 3-0 as a team. We had uh, five seniors last year leave with eight degrees. We have two seniors this year, Garrett Tipton, Alec Freem. They're going to leave here with five degrees. Garrett's going to have uh, a bachelor's, uh, a master's in communication, a master's in business administration. Alec will have a bachelor's and a master's in uh, business administration. Incredible, incredible young men. 
that is that is amazing and impressive, uh, especially in today's landscape of college athletics, where it's ever changing, as you would know better than anybody right now. Coach, um, you know, we've had you on before. I think the last time we got a chance to talk to you, you came on it and did our tournament special. It's always a lot of fun. But I want to start off this conversation before we turn to your team and everything. I want to look back just real quick because I don't think I've talked to you about this. So your updated record, at least according to your guys' own website, you're 413 wins, 148 losses in your time at Bellarmine. But I want to take you back. This is a little fun for me because I have a personal connection. 2011, Bellarmine was ranked number one in the nation. And you lose in overtime, 99-94, to University of Indianapolis. And I have the connection there, not only because I'm from here in Indiana and, you know, about 30 minutes south of Indy. But I have a, a friend of mine who is the head coach at Franklin Community High School, graduated at Franklin, where I played at Franklin with, that led you Indy that night in scoring Adrian Moss 29 points. What can you do? You remember that game first of all, and what can you remember about the battles with Indianapolis back in the day when you guys shared the same conference? I'm not mistaken, that was the game here that ended the longest winning streak in the country at home. It was. It and was. They, they they took a picture at midcourt, literally <laughs> minutes after the, literally seconds after the game. I've never seen that happen before in my life. Yeah, and Adrian and I, he's a year older than I am, um, so we play basketball forever coming up. Great individual. He is the head coach back at our alma mater now over at Franklin Community, doing great stuff there. But, you know, I was thinking about that today because uh, all the times we've had you on, I don't think I've ever talked to you about that. It was very, very high-level basketball. Josh, very. Don't kid yourself. Uh, I don't care if it's Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. I don't care. That was very high-level basketball. Yeah, and you guys were number one, as I mentioned. We and were. U of Indy was, I think, 23rd, 24th, 25th. They were a top 25 somewhere. And I just remember, again, the personal connection, because I know Adrian so well and the type of player he is. I remember that same year, they went exhibitions. We were talking off here about exhibitions. They played Indiana, and he lit up Indiana. And Tom Crean said after the game that, boy, that little Moss kid, one of the fastest guards we've ever played against. And then they went to Tennessee and beat Tennessee in an exhibition game. And Bruce Pearl was the coach at the same time, or was the coach of Tennessee that basically said the same thing. So I thought it was cool to get a chance to talk to you because he did hang almost a 30 piece on you. So I'm happy yep. for age. <laughs> I just, I, for some reason, those Bellarmine U of Indy matchups came to mind. And I did want to talk to you about them because you guys had some wars back when you were in the same division. You're being polite. <laughs> well you know you're my guy coach you know i gotta i gotta kind of you're being polite about those <laughs> games just called the wars yeah well i mean they uh, were incredible no there's no question and again it was high level basketball that was very very high level basketball and, and something that you know as we've transitioned to division one everybody asks me what's the difference the difference is who you recruit against but the, at the end of the day, the way you teach, coach, the way you execute is the same. But I, those games in the GLBC at that time, with UND, with Southern Indiana, with Dury, uh, Lewis was very, very good. The, the, that league was that league was every night you had to bring it. Incredible. I can't believe, like I said, I hadn't thought about it really until now. But, Coach, let's turn our attention to this year. Again, we're recording here on October 30th, one week away from official tips around the country beginning next Monday. Um, let's look ahead to your team. And the yeah. thing that we always love talking to you about and we admire so much about what you're building with your program since you have transitioned to the D1 level is the schedule. We talked last year with you. You played Kentucky, you played UCLA and all that. You look at your non-conference schedule this year. You open up at Washington. And then a couple days later, you'll go to Kansas State. Later on in the month of November, November 26th, you're at West by God, Virginia. Then you get the annual game. You're playing in-city rival Louisville. Then you'll go – I added the Ball State game because I was responsible covering the MAC in our ECB preview magazine. 
Ball State, I think, is going to be underrated in that conference. So I think that's a very tricky and very tough game to go up there and play Coach Lewis's team. And then to kind of round up as far as the marquee games in your non-con, you'll go out west to play Utah and then two days later play at BYU. Coach, obviously, you you kind of gave us an insight of what you're trying to do here with your program, going and playing this tough non-con, have one of the tougher strength of schedules every year to prepare your, to prepare your team for the conference life in the A-Sun. But when you built this schedule this year, uh, you look, I mean, you're going out West quite a bit here with trips to Washington and then Utah, BYU, even Kansas State's a little further West. Um, when you built the schedule this year, what were you looking at? Um, how did the planning of the schedule come about this year? Well, it's, you know, Bo Braden, the, my assistant, that work he does is incredible. We'll take them game by game. Washington was an opener. Uh, you mentioned Louisville and West Virginia. Those games, Louisville, uh, this will be the second of a two-year contract. We're looking to extend that. There is, in my opinion, no reason in the world not to play that game. The only two Division One programs in the country closer than the two of us is Lipscomb and Belmont. They got us by seven-tenths of a mile. So then the Kansas State game came about very late. They were in need of a game coming off a phenomenal Elite Eight run a year ago. Uh, we had a late contract issue with a potential mid-major like ourselves that fell through and we we were going to Manhattan, Kansas. BYU and Utah, uh, yes, it's tremendous for the school. It's tremendous for these young men. That was not the plan. To be very total, Josh, scheduling is incredibly difficult for us. And I don't know. I, I, I don't want to hear about the games, et cetera. Those teams, you know, the, these games generate tremendous proceeds for your university. But you maximize your profit by minimizing your travel expenses. Tough to minimize expenses when you're going to Utah, BYU, and Washington. Yeah, those are long trips out west. Um, they, they are. Now, you know, Washington, we will only miss uh, two, we'll miss two days of class. Kansas State will miss one day. Uh, BYU and Utah are after the semester. They're after finals. I mean, that's important to us. It should be important to everyone. And, and we should be important to the fans where our people have access to go see their, their sons play or their, their, their classmates play, et cetera, their university play. We need to grow basketball. And I don't think this is in the best interest of it not playing these type of games as regional opponents. That's my bit. And I, I completely agree with that. Um, that's one of the things we talk about with the current expansion of conferences. And we, we've done a whole show on that about how wild it's been, but I do want to ask, cause you kind of brought it up and it made me think you open up at Washington next Monday and then next Friday, um, November 10th, you'll be playing the game at Kansas state. So, is this one of those deals where after the Washington game, you kind of hang around in that West area of the country no, or are no. you coming back and then going out to Manhattan? We're Kansas? coming back and we're going, Oh, it gets better. Josh, we're coming back. Kansas state has a home football game on Saturday. The closest hotel to Manhattan, Kansas on Thursday night is Topeka 55 miles away. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so, what people need to understand. You know, this is not a charter plane over and back like the Power Five schools. Yeah. You know, and, and there's a lot more Bellarmines than there are Power Five schools. And now with the Pac-12 going away, you know, when I say Power Five, that will include the Big East. So we'll say Power Six. Next of year course, it'll yeah. be back to five. Of course. There's 363 teams. Yeah, and, and again, not to try to delve too much in the conference expansion because we've talked about that and let our feelings be known, but there, it's okay for uh, talking power conference-wise, the P6. It, it's okay for football and even college basketball to a degree for like a UCLA to be able to play on a Monday night at home and then fly out for a Saturday game over in, you know, Rut, playing Rutgers in New Jersey. But what about the other programs in the school? What about volleyball who doesn't have that type of money? Or what about, you know, tennis or what? 
and it's making it hard and schools like Bellarmine, like it, the travel is never, I don't feel like the logistics of it's ever considered in these factors, but we all know why <laughs> we, we all know what, what drives all this without even having to say it out loud, but um, turning our attention back to your team coach, Peyton took care of the conference. So you can blame him. Yes or no on this. Um, he, he was responsible for previewing the a son this year. He has you guys, he he wrote, he feels really strongly about you, as do we all. He has you guys projected six. He feels like the conference between Stetson, Bellarmine, Florida Gulf Coast, Eastern Kentucky is going to be a pretty strong conference, even without or even with the loss of Liberty out of the conference. When you look at the conference this year yourself, being in it, being competitive in it, when you look at your your team compared to some of these other teams I just mentioned, and with Liberty gone. Do you feel like the conference is wide open this year? I think in the in the in the era of transfer portal things like that, it's hard to say. I think you're just guessing. I started our first meeting as we returned to campus the 23rd of August. Unlike any meeting I've ever started as a head coach, every year what you would do is welcome your new players, your freshmen, et cetera. You would your freshmen, you would you would welcome them. I started that meeting from total everything in my heart, thanking and congratulating all our players who believe they have a plan in their life. We lost Justin Betts and Sam DeVault to graduation. We lost three other players who had season career-ending injuries a year ago to graduation. We lost one freshman who just, you know, college basketball wasn't for him. Everybody came back. Like I mentioned, Garrett Tipton and Alec Freeman are going to leave here with a total of five degrees. I congratulate mm-hmm. them because they have a plan for their life and they should be commended for that. And as far as the conference goes, I, I, I think we'll have to wait and see. A lot of new faces, Jacksonville State and Liberty, like you mentioned, are gone. Kennesaw uh, won the championship a year ago, lost their coach. Lost a lot, too. Lost yes. a lot off that team. Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky is much like Belgium. They returned their roster intact, and they they deserve to be the the, the preseason favorite. And uh, you know now it's it's a very very fine line in all levels of college basketball. A very fine line of winning and losing, and that's day in day out. So we'll see. Yeah, and Eastern Kentucky, real quick. I mean, went, they won twenty three games last year, returned four starters, including Devonte Blanton. So there's a lot of stiff competition in the conference this year, Coach. And you've talked about some of your key guys coming back. When you look at Garrett Tipton and Ben Johnson, Peyton couldn't make the episode today, but he did want me to ask you about Ben Johnson, a guy who averaged eleven point two points per game for you last year. When Peyton's doing his research and really studying your team for the magazine. He believes that Ben Johnson could potentially be your guy's leading scorer and have a really good breakout year this year, potentially even on the national stage. When you look at Ben and see his growth from year over year, what are your expectations for him this year? And what have you talked about him with him as far as potentially stepping up and all that? Well, I think you give him a lot of credit. It comes from a tremendous family, but I think you give him a lot of credit that as a freshman, we had three seniors uh, that were going to get a lot of playing time. Ben was Mr. Basketball in the state of Kentucky. And I did not play one second of AU basketball the summer prior to his senior year. And that's he, of game. he committed us in de- late December of his junior year in high school. He goes on and becomes Mr. Basketball. He redshirted. And it wasn't just playing time. Bellarmine offers a five-year MBA program. Well, I would rather Bellarmine pay for my master's in business administration than me or my family. So he had a plan. That red shirt year, I've never seen a red shirt hurt a son. I know the portal came up and everybody talked about it. I've never seen it hurt anyone. It helps them academically, helps them maturity-wise. It helps them improve in terms of their strength, their conditioning, their skills, used the right way. Ben benefited from that and never missed a stride last year as a redshirt freshman. And, and, and you start picking his game apart, and everybody says, oh, he's a he's a one-trick pony, he's a shooter. No, he's not. He's a basketball player. Now, he is a tremendous shooter, but he's a basketball player. Inside, outside, defend, rebound, uh, 
set screens, use screens, you know, involve his teammates. He's a basketball player, and he deserves a lot of credit. He's a very special young man. Yeah, and again, I I feel like the consensus here on the ECB panel is that – Guys like Ben Johnson, Garrett Tipton are due for a really special year this year because of not only the schedule. I mean, it's hard to go play Kentucky and UCLA and all these places you're playing at and then have success. Like Garrett last year, he had some games against some of the big teams where he really showed out and Ben did as well. So I feel like that's why we feel really confident about those two as well. The rest of your roster coming back. Um, Trevor. Couldn't make it today as well, but he did want me to ask you, which actually kind of leads me into what I do want to talk to you about next. You know, we talked in episode one, the first time we ever had you on, we talked about the transitional period from coming in to D1 where you have to set out. You're not eligible for the NCAA tournament. You're in the last year of that. But another program who's going through similar, what Trevor wants me to ask you is Queens. Queens is in that same transitional period that you guys are just now starting to finish up with. So, A, on this being your final year of transition period, how does that affect anything next year, especially in the recruiting aspect, when you can now look at kids and their families and be like, if we do what we're supposed to, we can finally start making the NCAA tournament or the NIT or whatever kind of postseason tournament. And then if you were to talk to Queens, their head coach in the program, any advice for them as a program who's been going through the transitional period? Well, first of all, two weeks ago, Bellarmine, we applied, we filed a waiver to become immediately eligible for postseason play. We also filed it on behalf of all other schools. There's three others transitioning with us, one ahead of us, and there's several six behind us. That 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 should be a two-year ban, not four. Completely because four agree. takes in an entire career of a college player. You mentioned that on the first time we had you on and, and right in depth. You know, you know, to be very honest, Josh, these players need us right now. 100%. With, with the instability in college athletics between NIL, the portal, et cetera, they need us more than ever. And, you know, the NCAA on June the 16th supported, for example, no longer testing for cannabis or marijuana in postseason play. So I, I'll pose you a question. Um, these two seniors I mentioned that, that are very, very well-rounded school young men with five degrees, when they come to me and say, Coach, I don't understand. I can get high, but I can't play in the tournament. How am I supposed to respond to that? Well, I – <laughs> that's a good one because I'm stumped right now and I couldn't imagine the spot you would have to be in because I think it's fair. And I think it's the same way I, they now, opened up. So, they can't... so they're going to say, well, time's change. Right. Well, why don't we change this? Exactly. So What's a, it, I was it, told, I was told that this rule eventually will be changed, but it takes a legislative process, right? Mm. Right here on my desk, there's an NCAA letter. And it was printed out, not a letter. It's a, it's an article on June 16th that talked about the change in their drug testing. And it said, while, while the legislative process takes place, this rule change will be um, implemented immediately. So why don't we change all the rules immediately? See, Coach, that's the thing I've never understood. Because it seems like not just NCA, but when any kind of big corporation entity wants something done on their behalf, then they can find a way to push it through immediately. But if it's something they want to drag their feet on, that's what they're going to do. It's the same way with the waiver process. You open it up a couple of years ago and you get the COVID year and then you get the fifth year rule and you get the injury rule. And you got some guys in college basketball now that are like 26 years old and on like their eighth year. But you have other guys, for whatever reason, the a family member died and they had an emergency relocate back home, and they get denied waivers. But you just open it up to everybody else. Now you're denying them because it's a second-time waiver. 
it makes no sense. I've stopped a long time ago trying to understand what the NCAA is trying to think and what they're going to do and well, making any them. rational I sense. I respect them. They have a very difficult job. I'm just saying let's put the players first. I completely agree. I mean, I look them in the face every single day. And I've yet to ever, anybody explain to me what do I say to them. When, for example, Alec or Garrett say, Coach, I don't understand. They're saying I can get high, but I can't play in the tournament because the university made a decision. Josh, the best I can find out, do you know why this rule ever occurred? The transitional period or the? Yes, yes. Uh, from what I understood, it was to make sure that the like the basketball operations facilities were up yes. to par to yes. – Transition properly. But many, many, many years ago, yeah. many years ago, back when the academic rules from Division One to Division Two, et cetera, back then it was it was called the college division. The rules were different academically. So you could theoretically have a team less academically qualified transition and immediately, you know, make an impact, let's say, right? Right. Those rules have been changed for 25, 30 years. You know, all the rules academically are the same. So why didn't why we are not adjusting? You just I wish I wish I had an answer. The, the, the amount of money that they asked you to put up front has more than tripled since the year 2012. That should alone demonstrate that your school is serious and committed. Yeah. Hold yeah. the school, hold the school accountable. Don't punish the players. This yeah. has nothing to do with Scott Davenport. It's about the players. And I think, forget, forget this transition. We did this last night. Every rule that's made, we, we must consider the players and their future. Not just throw caution to the wind and say, let's do this. You know, Matt Painter at Purdue is as strong a leader the players, the coaches, the officials, the administrators, as there is I've ever known in college basketball. He is incredible. And he has said to me, we must worry about when they're 28 to 30 years old. Have we put them in a good position? That should be our emphasis every single day. Could not agree more and also could not agree more on instead of the four-year transition, make it to should not wipe out a player's entire career. Yes. Because yes, because of a silly rule. Let's put it blunt, bluntly, a silly rule at this point. I get the transition, but it's got to at least be two, nothing more, nothing less. Give them an you opportunity know, as we'll, upperclassmen. We'll, we'll change the subject, but Josh, mm. people – a lot of social media, I, I really got taken to task. Well, you knew the rule when you went into it. Why are you griping? Uh, you, you signed up for this, et cetera. No, no. In, in, in the fall of 2019, when this started, excuse me, in the winter of 2019, we started in the spring of 2020. There was no portal. Mm -mm. There was no NIL. No, we did not. We've changed so many rules. No, things are not the same as when we signed up. We were also told we could play in the NIT. We were misinformed. We were not the only school, Central Arkansas in our league, excuse me, North Alabama, Cal Baptist. No, they all thought if they won their league, Merrimack, that they would play in the NIT. And we all found out things changed. Merrimack, prime example as well. Win the last conference year. last it, year. It's, it's and, happened. Let's yep. change it. Yep. Win the conference. Don't get to play in the NCAA tournament, which sets up an incredible upset because FDU takes their spot, upsets Purdue. It, it's crazy how one little thing changes the course of history. But coach will start landing this plane. Um, turning the attention back to the A-Sun, we mentioned – there's going to be some quality teams, Eastern Kentucky, you guys, Stetson, all these teams. There's a particular stretch of games that I feel like if Bellarmine is to make a legitimate push, if your team is to make a real push, 
to either win the conference or be a top two or three team there, it's from February 7th to the 17th. Because in that 10-day stretch, you play three games against three of the teams that we have listed towards the very top along with you. Stetson, Florida Gulf Coast, Eastern Kentucky, three games consecutively inside of a 10-day period. When you look at this this schedule layout and look at these teams, Coach, what are what are your expectations? Do you feel like you have a team that can compete for the A-Sun this year? Yes, I do. And, and, you know, that stretch you mentioned is coming off a road trip at Queens at, at Kennesaw. Uh, why would I say? Because experience always and always has and always will be the greatest teacher. Last year, we had Alec Freem had two surgeries in the offseason. Then December 9th to December 21st, 12 days, we had four players have major surgery. An ankle, excuse me, a wrist, a knee, a hip, and a shoulder. Two were career ending, two were season ending. We did not have players to practice. Justin Betts, our best player last year, his weekly schedule, off Monday, off Tuesday, shoot Wednesday, play Thursday, shoot Friday, play Saturday, off Sunday. He couldn't practice. He had two surgeries at the end of the year. So in a a 10-month span, in a 10-month span, we had eight players have major surgery. But they never quit. You know, we, we beat North Florida. We got to the to the second round of the conference tournament and lost at Liberty. And and I've never been more proud of a basketball team. That 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 challenge set us up for this year. Those players, two weeks, the mandatory two weeks off after at the end of the year, they immediately went into that weight room. And I've never seen a team improve their bodies. And our strength coach, Joe Griffin, deserves award after award after award of what he did with this basketball team. And now our preseason has been the most competitive preseason on the court day in, day out I've ever experienced from the time I was a high school basketball coach till I was at Louisville till I was at Bellarmine. Well, that's incredible, too, just the drive. But, Coach, a couple rapid fire before we get you out. And, by the way, I mean, you can tell me. It's got to be nice in a way not to have to game plan for Darius McGee again. <laughs> I mean, oh that, we were – you obviously, we we talked to you after the game. Peyton and I were there covering when Liberty came to uh, now, Freedom was, Hall that night. Okay. Have you ever seen anybody make those two shots? He – we we laughed. We All we could do at press row was laugh because he just threw him to the sky and it went in. One left-handed. One left-handed, Yeah. One left-handed, it, but he's incredible. We knew that, but just when you're, it, it's a proof point that when you're red hot, anything will go in. But it's got to be good not to look across and like, oh man, we got a game plan you for him what, no more. Josh, and, and and I've got as much respect for Richie McKay as anybody in this country. He is, by all accounts, and and just for our player interaction, coach interaction, Darius McGee may have been as classy individual has played college basketball in many years. Incredible to watch. And listening to him in the press conference afterwards, yes. very classy. And Kyle Road, Lexington native yes. Kyle Road. He played well yep. against you guys that night. And uh, so that was a lot of fun. But, Coach, we have a time for just a few more. I'll rapid fire him real quick if you're ready for him. Yes, sir. Let's play. You're in the state of Kentucky. Let's talk real quick about the Bluegrass teams, your fellow Bluegrass teams. We talked a little bit about yourself, obviously, a little bit about Eastern Kentucky. When you look at Kentucky and Louisville, the two big ones in your state, what do you see in their outlook real quick for this year? You know, it's interesting. Kentucky with a lot of freshmen, but they got a quality transfer in Trez Mitchell from West Virginia. Um, Louisville is going to rely heavily on improvement from the four returning players coupled with incoming freshmen. Their freshman class is incredibly strong. Western Kentucky with a new program. Eastern, we mentioned, very good. Moorhead, Preston Spradlin has done as good a job as anybody in any conference. And Murray and Coach Prone back now in his second year, you know, going coming back through Murray. Basketball in this state right now, Darren Horn at Northern Kentucky is incredible. Yeah, that Horizon League, I was in charge of it for the magazine. That Horizon top four yes. especially – 
That, yeah. that is loaded. It's Absolutely incredible. loaded. Um, Coach, when you, you're taking that trip to West by God, Virginia, as we talked about. Now, I don't know if the last time you've been there, maybe probably I'd assume when you were assistant coach at Louisville. I would, I guess so. No, we were there two years ago. Two years ago. Okay. So when you go to West Virginia, those fans get loud and rowdy. Is that one of the reasons, besides obviously West Virginia is going to be pretty good this year with all the transfers and all that, but when you go to West Virginia, is that one of those environments that you absolutely look forward to going to because we of did. the fans? That game, and, and this, the credit goes to Bob Huggins. Let's go, Josh. I'm not going to beat around the bush. That, that, yeah. that game is a credit to, to Coach Huggins. Um, my, my, my viewpoint of Coach Huggins is much different than a lot of people's, than probably everybody. I was a high school coach at Ballard High School, and he was recruiting Dewan Wheat. Uh, he was a great player for us. So I have seen Coach Huggins from a high school head coach's perspective. Then I was at Louisville, and I coached against him, both under Coach Crum and Coach Patino. Then I coached against him as a head coach at Belton. You know, and what happened is is, is a tragic. It's a tragic. And, and, you know, I think about it. Because that that is a, that's a person, mm-hmm. and, and nobody's nobody's excusing the mistake, no one. But let's care about the person. Let's care about the person. Everyone makes mistakes. I worry about the individual. And coach, that's why you're an amazing coach and human being, and we love talking to you. Last rapid fire one before I wrap it up with your team to round this thing out. Of all the places that, since you've been at Bellarmine, you've been in D1, we'll keep it confined to that. We talk about your your strength of schedule. Is there a place yet? Which one of the places that you've not got to play at yet, as far as coach at, what one do you really want to get on the schedule in the coming years? Because you've been to Rupp, you've been to Poly Pavilion, you've been to all these places to take your Bellarmine-led teams. What one do you really want to that you haven't got a chance to take Bellarmine to yet? Chapel Hill. North Kakalaki. <laughs> Chapel Hill. Yep. And uh, I would say there would be a tie for second. I would say after Coach Musselman came out last year and had a whole press conference about it, he would never play Bellarmine. And Coach Musselman would know Scott Davenport if he snuck into a private practice. He would not know me. <laughs> But he had watched us in his game prep when he was playing Louisville over in Mallet. So I'll say Fayetteville, and the tie would be Coach Patino and Madison Square Garden. That would be amazing, and what a story that would be. Coach, I can't thank you enough. It's a joy and pleasure every time you come on here. Um, Just I feel like we're chatting with an old friend. We get basketball talk in the middle, and it's a pleasure. Peyton and I are working, full disclosure, on – finding our schedule to come down and cover your guys' team again live this year. It was a lot of fun being in Freedom Hall. So we're trying to work that out. And uh, I look forward to our chats again. We'll probably sometime if we can make time out and, you know, not interrupt your schedule too much, maybe here in a month or two, we'll try to get you back on and update. You got this loaded non-con schedule. You're you're trying to challenge an A-Sun. Coach, I appreciate the hell out of you. And best of luck next year or next week when you travel to Washington and Kansas State. Safe travels. And I look forward to talk to you and get to see you again, my friend. We'll get you all back down here. Total locker room access. Pre-game talk. You, you're, it's all you. Sounds perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, Coach Scotty Davenport, head coach of the Bellarmine Knights. Coach, thank you again. You bet. Stay careful.